that they are here this morning. And Randall and Dale have worshiped at ZPC for the past three years. So as I said, they're part of our ZPC family. Uh, Randall served as a senior pastor for 35 years. And when I, when I reminded of that, I don't think it's possible. He doesn't look old enough to have served as a senior pastor uh, somewhere for 35 years. Currently, though, I know Randall, and we've talked a lot about this, is a leader in world missions. He's the Pacific Rim Regional Director of Word of Life International, and he's the Field Director of Word of Life Japan. And so he really reaches out all over the world telling people about Jesus. And he's going to say a word about that as well. And so, uh, Randall, if you'd come up, uh, let's give a big welcome to Randall Gilmore. Thanks, Randall. Thanks, brother. Thanks. Good morning, church. It's good to see everyone here this morning. I'm so glad you came. I know this is a low Sunday usually, but if you hadn't come, it would have been awfully lonely up here. So I'm glad you're here. And uh, as Scott said, my wife and I serve with Word of Life International, and we are leading the Pacific Rim region of Word of Life ministry. That takes in everything from India over to Japan and then south all the way to New Zealand, and we have missionaries, about almost 300 missionaries in that part of the world, and I work mostly with uh, the country directors in the various countries where we have ministries, and while we're back here in the States, we also are involved in something called the Gospel Story Arc Project, and that's the website that you see on the screen behind me, and with the Gospel Story Arc Project, we are leveraging the science of story to tell more about Jesus and who he is. You know, we have a habit here in the West of talking about the theology of Christianity. And meanwhile, there are so many people around the world who turn away from theology, but they're really interested in the story of who Jesus is. And so we leverage the science of story to tell more about Jesus. And we're producing materials and programs and and other things that people can use to tell more about Jesus. This happens to be one that I brought with me. This is called the Gospel Story Arc Evangelism Cube. I don't know if you've ever seen a cube like this, but this um, has pictures on it, various faces on this cube, and you can open it up and it tells the story of who Jesus is as you go along. It's a pretty interesting device. If you're interested in taking a look at that, I'll have that up here, and I can tell you later on about how that could be available if you'd like to have one, and you could use it to remember to pray for us in our ministry. Now, this morning we're going to turn our attention to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, and verses 22 through 32, and I would invite you to follow along on the screen as I read the Bible out loud. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 22. The Bible says, Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, 
He is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity that we have to open your word and to study together this passage of Scripture. And I pray that today you will guide our our thoughts and guide our words. And Lord, that your word may sink deep into our hearts, I pray. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, at first brush, this story in Matthew may seem like an odd way to end 2018 and bring in a new year. But it speaks to something that we need. As we look ahead to 2019 and as we prepare our hearts for Jerry's new series on bringing the kingdom to the world in which we live. I'm really looking forward to that series, and I'm excited about what Jerry is going to have to teach us. But this story, this story opens with Jesus encountering a man who was blind and mute and demon-oppressed. All three conditions, marks of life in a fallen, cursed realm, and traceable ultimately back to a time when pain and suffering entered the world, and when sin and death entered the world, and when evil entered the world. But Jesus healed the man, and so he spoke, and he saw, and the demon came out. Now Jesus did all this to relieve the man's suffering. There's no doubt about that. But there's so much more. Because Jesus also had in mind showing that he is the promised Savior. That he is the promised Son of David and the one through whom restoration and healing and blessing and good penetrate into this cursed realm. Now I want you to know that I'm using the word penetrate with intention. Because this is exactly how the Bible pictures the restoration and healing and blessing and good of the kingdom coming into this world after the fall. Take, for example, the Old Testament story of Jacob and his ladder. Remember that story? Jacob fell asleep one night with his head on a rock. Don't ask me how he did that. Guess there were no my pillows back then. But he laid his head down on a rock and he fell asleep and he dreamed a dream. He dreamt of a ladder set up on the earth and the top of that ladder reached 
into the heavens. Keep in mind that heaven in Jacob's dream is the place from which people expected the blessings of the restoration to come to the earth. After God created the heavens and the earth, he blessed all that he made and he described it as very good. But then the earth became a cursed realm. Because after the fall, God announced curses first on the serpent, that the serpent would crawl on its belly, and then on the woman that she would have pain and childbearing, and then on the man that he would struggle in his work, and then on the ground itself that it would not yield its fruit so easily. And so the world became a place marked by pain and suffering, marked by sin and death, and by unbelief and by evil. But interestingly enough, God did not announce any curses on the heavens. Did you ever notice that before? The heavens remained blessed and very good as God had described them. And they became associated with the place where God lives. And the place out of which the blessings of restoration would eventually come to this earth. The place that people looked to for restoration and for blessing and good that they needed to cope with evil and overcome it. And so, by faith, people began calling on the Lord and asking him to come out of the heavens and to be present where they were with restoration and healing and blessing and good for their lives. You may be familiar, in fact, with one of the sayings in the Bible that grew up around all of this. And here it is. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you say that with me? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The idea is that you call upon God out of the heavens to come to this cursed realm and to penetrate into this cursed realm with the blessings of restoration. And so Jacob sees a ladder connecting heaven and earth. And the Lord standing above the ladder and angels ascending and descending on that ladder as though they're carrying the blessings of restoration with them back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, penetrating into this realm, out of the heavens with all kinds of blessing and good. And Jacob thought that he had found the one place on earth that was a kind of gateway into the heavens, a portal into the blessings that God promised to bring to this realm. Something similar to C.S. Lewis's wardrobe in the Chronicles of Narnia. Who wouldn't want a wardrobe like that? I mean, can you imagine going home today and opening one of your closets and finding a ladder that reaches from the earth all the way into the heavens and angels of God ascending and descending on that ladder with the blessings of restoration, all kinds of blessing and good for this world. Jacob was sure that he had found such a place, but Jacob was wrong. Because the true gateway into the heavens is not a place, it's a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ladder, and that's exactly what Jesus claimed after he told Nathanael back in the Gospel of John, the first chapter of the Gospel of John. Jesus told Nathanael, 
this after he saw him under the fig tree. And Nathanael was so impressed that Jesus saw him. But Jesus said, you will see greater things than these. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So here is Jesus appropriating the story of Jacob's ladder to himself and saying, Hey, Nathaniel, you've not seen anything yet. I'm the ladder in Jacob's dream. And angels are ascending and descending upon me with all the blessings of the kingdom. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Ephesians 1 and verse 3. I love this verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. You see, consistently throughout the scripture, we expect the blessings of the restoration to come out of the heavens. And there is a gateway, there is a portal into that Blessing, that realm of blessing and restoration and that portal and that gateway, as I say, is not a place, it's a person. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're following this, you're already picking up on the imperative of people knowing that Jesus is the latter. And you're picking up on the imperative of people believing in Jesus and calling on him to be saved. You see, if, if people don't know who Jesus is, they will not believe in him. And if they don't believe in him, they will not call to him. And if they don't call on him, they will be condemned on the day of judgment. They won't be saved. And they will suffer in the meantime without the benefit of restoration and healing and blessing and good brought to this cursed realm. And so Jesus heals this demon-oppressed, blind, and mute man to show that he's the latter, to show that he's the promised Savior and the gateway into the blessings of the heavens. And the people are amazed. They are amazed. And they begin to speculate that Jesus might just be the Messiah, the promised son of David. But keep in mind that amazement is not the goal. Jesus' goal is for people to move beyond amazement and actually believe in him and call on him to save them. As I say, from the day of judgment, but also from the evil that rules this age. And then for word to spread about him everywhere. But along come the Pharisees to oppose Jesus, saying it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. It is the worst slander possible. And if it's allowed to stand, the consequences are, are dire because Jesus was already refusing to cooperate with people who wanted to install him as king. And, and refusing to cooperate and, and now Jesus, allowing this slander to stand, it would appear as though he's backing off of any claim that he might be the promised son of David, that he wasn't confident in his identity. And the people would give up on him. And they would never move beyond amazement. And 
never moved to actual faith in Jesus and to calling on him for restoration and blessing and kingdom good. And Jesus' story would never spread beyond the Jews to the rest of the world or to us, leaving prophecy unfulfilled, leaving us without a ladder into the heavens. Now keep in mind as we think about this story in Matthew 12, this wasn't the first time that the Pharisees leveled such slander against Jesus. But now the stakes are so much higher. The Pharisees had decided that they were going to destroy Jesus, and Jesus knew that, so he's kind of playing a dangerous game at this point. The Pharisees might just get rid of him before he completes his mission. But in spite of the danger, and in spite of the risk, Jesus had to ensure that everyone, including us, that everyone knew that he was confident in his identity. And that he wasn't backing off his claims of being the latter in Jacob's dream. And that people could call on him to be saved. And that they could experience kingdom blessing through him. And they could spread word of others, to others, about him for the same. And so Jesus begins to lay out the case for restoration and healing and blessing and good coming to this realm through him and only through him. And Jesus begins with these well-known words that I read a few moments ago. Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? In other words, hey, Pharisees, your slander doesn't make any sense on its face. Satan's not going to cast himself out. That's never going to happen. Satan is not in the business of ex uh, extinguishing his rule of evil, he is in the business of extending it. Extending it, not extinguishing it. And then Jesus goes on to say, If I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So Jesus is explaining now in unmistakable terms the restoration, the blessing, the good that you just witnessed when I healed this man and cast out the demon was a penetration of the kingdom of God into this realm through me. Make no mistake. By the way, we know that Jesus will return someday to complete the restoration. And the restoration he brings them with all of its blessing and all of its good will come into this realm, this cursed realm, in an epic, total, and permanent fashion. Uh, until then, Jesus is saying that something like this, something like the healing of the mute, blind, demon-oppressed man is a foretaste and a witness of the coming epic and total and permanent restoration of all things. And all of it, he says, is through me and only through me. And that's the point that Jesus is making also when he says, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? 
therefore they will be your judges. The sons that Jesus speak is, is speaking of are not the actual physical sons of the Pharisees in this moment. He's talking about the sons of Israel. He's talking about his followers, the ones that he sent out in another passage that's parallel to this in the Gospel of Luke. Luke tells us that Jesus sent out 72 of his followers and charged them with spreading the, the foretaste and witnesses of the kingdom wherever they went. And those 72 came back and they gave a report to Jesus. And they said, Jesus, wherever we go, even the demons listen to us because of you. Through your name, even the demons come out and they're subject to us in your name. Again and again and again, every bit of restoration and kingdom good, whether epic and permanent or episodic and temporary, all of it comes through Jesus. But the Pharisees just refused to connect it to him. They refused to connect to Jesus all of the foretastes and witnesses of the kingdom happening all around them. They just couldn't stand the thought. The Pharisees are the people that Jerry referred to last week with the quote from Walter Brueggemann. I want to put that back up on the screen. The quote says, So often in successful and affluent cultures, we think that with enough knowledge and with enough power and with enough money, we can tame the terror and eliminate the darkness. On our own is the idea. Refusing to connect the penetrations of restoration and blessing and kingdom good into this world with Jesus. That describes the attitude of the Pharisees to a T. They couldn't stand to give Jesus credit. Much less to think that they might need him or call upon him. And so they plotted to get rid of Jesus. By the way, it's not unlike what's happening in our own culture. Have you noticed that our culture seems to be driven to rid the public square of any mention of God? Or of any mention of the Bible? Or of any mention of Jesus? But Jesus argues, here's the deal. Get rid of me and the latter goes away. The restoration and the blessings and the good that penetrate into this realm because of me and because of those connected to me, it goes away. By the way, people often ask this question, especially we've seen this and heard this a lot in 2018 with some of the shootings that took place in schools and other places. People ask, where does evil come from? And why is there so much of it in the world? Have you heard that question? Where does evil come from? And why is there so much of it in the world? But there's a better question. And I think it's a question that Jesus is posing in, in this story. And it's a better question than where does evil come from and why is there so much of it in the world? It's the question, where does good come from? Where does good come from? And why is there so little of it in the world? It's the question that Jesus is answering in, in this story. Good comes to this world through me. Get rid of me and the kingdom good 
that I bring goes away. Later in the story, by the way, Jesus talks about how whenever anyone does succeed in ridding their world of him, the demons that he held in check, the evil that he held in check, it will return. Those demons will return and they will bring seven of their friends with them, more evil than they. So when a person or a society rids their life or their society of the presence of Jesus, it doesn't turn their situation into something neutral with respect to good and evil. It creates a vacuum. And a vacuum that sucks in even more evil than before. More evil that Jesus' presence had once held at bay. It is exactly the lesson that our own culture is learning. You know, there are a lot of places in the world. I can tell you, I have traveled literally all over the world. There's a lot of places in the world that don't know nearly as much about Jesus as we know in our culture. And you might wonder, well, why don't they experience the same types of evil that we experience or we are experiencing now in our own culture? And all I can say is that these words of Jesus in this story are coming true. That when you take a culture that does know Jesus and has prominently featured him in the public square, and now they seek to remove him from the public square or any mention of him or his word from the public square. It doesn't make their situation neutral. It creates a vacuum, and that vacuum is filled by even more evil than ever before. We're learning that lesson. Well, in the rest of the story, Jesus calls on the Pharisees to make a decision about him and the kingdom good that his presence brings to this cursed realm. And he warns them not to show contempt for the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that there's a lot of controversy in this passage about what exactly is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not going to go into great detail about that. If you're interested, I have... Uh, some teaching on that that I could do or some things I could share with you. All I can say now is that Jesus warns them not to show contempt for the Holy Spirit who is directing them to call upon him, to believe on Jesus and to call upon him and then to spread word of him. He's saying don't show contempt for the Holy Spirit. Agree with the Holy Spirit. And what the Spirit says about my role in bringing restoration and blessing and good to the earth. Jesus is saying it's not acceptable to oppose me. And it's not acceptable to leave me out of your attempts to bring kingdom good to this fallen world. Anything less than believing on me and anything less than calling on me, Jesus says, is meaningless chatter and results in judgment and not in true restoration and blessing. Now, I love Jesus. And I love the way he shows compassion on the man that was blind and mute and demon-oppressed. But I also love the way that he sets the Pharisees straight. And the way that he assures us that he is confident in his identity. Don't ever let anyone tell you that Jesus never said that he was God. Or that Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. It simply isn't true. 
He was confident in his identity. He knows who he is. And he's certain of the role that he plays in bringing the restoration and blessings of the kingdom to this realm. And so here, at the end of 2018, and as we look ahead to 2019, if we will carefully consider all of this along with what the, the other things that Jesus has to say in the rest of this story, we'll find exactly what we need in the coming year to position ourselves at the base of the ladder. We'll find exactly what we need to receive from Jesus the restoration and blessing and kingdom good that he offers, and then to become instruments of spreading that kingdom good to others. So here are three things that I just want to mention at the close that are calls to action for all of us. And the first is to make a decision about Jesus. Make a decision in your heart about Jesus, connecting Jesus to penetrations of restoration and healing and kingdom good. Jesus tells the Pharisees in in this story, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. In other words, whenever you recognize something for the kingdom good that it is, then you must connect it directly to me, Jesus says. Like a good tree bearing good fruit. And of course, this is done in a watershed sort of way for everyone who's ever become a believer in Christ. We make that connection. But it's also something that can be done again and again and again and again and again. If you've never done it before, I want to urge you today, I invite you today, by faith to connect to Jesus directly with penetrations of the kingdom into this realm. Recognize him for who he is. Make the connection. And the second call to action is to use our words and to use our actions to call on Jesus for foretastes and witnesses of his kingdom until he comes again and restores all things in that epic, total, and permanent fashion. To call on him. And then thirdly, to use our words and actions to credit Jesus and spread word about him to others. So those are three C's. Every good preacher has three words that are alliterated, so here they are, and you can remember them. And connect and call and credit. Connect kingdom good to Jesus. Call upon him. And give him the credit for it. Don't take credit yourself. Give him the credit. And spread that word to others. May God help us to do just this as we apply this story to our lives in 2019. Father, thank you for the opportunity to study this passage, to study your word. I pray that you would help us to connect instances of kingdom good in our lives to Jesus. Help us to call upon you, Jesus, for more. Foretastes and witnesses of the good that you bring into this realm. 
And then, Lord, I pray that you would help us to give credit to you, not just in our own private way in our lives, but also to others as we spread the good news about you, that they would know that we're not like the people that the Brueggemann quote spoke of. We're not like the Pharisees refusing to acknowledge you but we're giving credit to you as the ladder of our lives, the ladder of this world, through whom the blessings of restoration come. Thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.